Well, this morning, it's, uh, look, I may not have told you last week, we, we've got a bulletin consistently in the back now that's kind of been a little erratic over uh, some time, even coming back from COVID, it's still been uh, super erratic, but we've got a brand new bulletin, it's chock full of all kinds of great information, it has the it has the verses that we're reading today, if you don't have a Bible or you don't have a, the Bible on your device, it's got a place for you to take notes, it's got a calendar in it that lets you know all the upcoming events that are in the life of the church, and so if you didn't get one, uh, as you're leaving today, make sure you pick up one, but if you did grab one today, you can see that uh, on April, uh, the last Sunday in April, we will be having a baptismal service. If you are interested in participating in that baptismal service, there's a QR code there. If you don't know what QR codes, they're real easy to use. You simply turn uh, your camera on your phone, and just like you're going to take a picture of that little code, just stick your camera up to it, and it'll take you right to a website where you can register, and I'll be in contact with you about the baptismal service. Uh, we just had our first membership class uh, since uh, COVID, so our first one in over two years, and so we had four uh, four different individuals uh, go through that, and so uh, we we hope after that they've got their church covenant in their hand that they'll have to sign and turn back in to make it official, but hopefully at our family gathering we'll be able to officially introduce you to some new members of our church, and so we've got another class coming up in June. If you want to be a part of that, you can scan that QR code, and then if you're visiting with us today, um, we would like uh, we've got a QR code for you. If you'll scan that, we just ask you to give us a little information and we'll send you a free gift. Um, it's not a free gift to get you to come back. It's just a free gift. We just like to send you something to express to you um, how grateful we are that you were here today. Uh, you could be anywhere today, but you've chosen to worship here and worship with us. And we don't take that lightly. Um, we are We are really grateful that you are here. So uh, so make sure you get a bulletin each and every week. And for the kids, uh, we had a little snafu this morning with the, uh, uh, the copier. So the kids' bulletin wasn't printed, but each week there's a bulletin for those children three and under and or three and up, and then a bulletin for those uh, seven to 12 years old. One other quick announcement, and that is um, we started a new life group today. And that is um, for our um, third, fourth, and fifth grade. So if you're in the third, fourth, and fifth grade, Miss Vicki Richardson is teaching that now. And so we've got a third, fourth, and fifth grade life group, and then we've got a life group for our kindergarten, first, and second graders. And that started today. So uh, if you've got a child in that age group, we would love for you to, uh, we'd love to encourage you to come and be a part of the adult group that's going on. And, uh, and get your children involved in the, uh, the children's life group as well. All right, I think I got all my announcements done. Um, Mark chapter 13, verses 1 through 37. A lot, lot of verses this morning, but uh, probably going to be a pretty short sermon. Because, you know, every pastor has books of the Bible that they love, parts of the Bible that... I mean, man, you just can't wait for it to come up and to preach it. And you say, well, why don't you just preach the stuff you like all the time? Because that's not a good preacher. You just don't want to hear what my favorite parts of the Bible are. So I, 
force myself, really, because it takes work to do it this way, and that is, and we, you know, we, we'll deviate every now and then because I feel like you need a break, and you're like, man, we're, will we ever finish Mark? I mean, like I told you last Sunday, we are now, I think today is sermon number 49 or 50 out of the book of Mark. And so, um, yeah, so sometimes it's good just to kind of break and do something a little different and then come back to it. But um, preaching through books of the Bible, chapter and verse, is really um, probably for pastors, probably a good way of preaching week in and week out to their congregation because it makes sure that you get a healthy, robust diet of biblical teaching. You know, I mean, like some of you, I mean, there's certain foods that if you could eat it all the time, you'd eat it all the time, right? And there'd be other foods you would never eat that you probably should eat. That's the kind of the way the Bible is. If, if pastors are left to their own device, we would preach all the stuff that we like to preach and that are easy to preach and doesn't require a lot of study. Uh, and we would avoid passages like this today. I don't like this passage. I, I just kind of even wish it wasn't even in the Bible, to be honest with you. Um, because it's very difficult. Matter of fact, it is probably when it comes to, look, anything dealing with the end times, and that's what we're dealing with, the, the end of the world, it's difficult. And here's the reason why it's difficult. is because across Christianity, there's, there, there's a lot that we disagree on concerning the end and very little that we agree on. What we all do agree on is that Jesus is coming back. We just don't really know what that's going to look like. And we've got pre-tribulation theology. We've got mid-tribulation theology. We've got post-tribulation theology. We've got uh, post-millennials. We've got all millennials. And some of you are like, I have no idea what any of that means, and that's okay. It's not a big deal. Because I tell you where I am. I, I'm a pan-tribulationist and a pan-millennialist, which means this. It's all going to pan out in the end. So I just, I, I just quit trying to figure out what camp I might fall into. And, and, and here's what I do know. He's coming back. That's what's important. That's, that's the most important truth of biblical, about prophecy is that Jesus is coming back. So what I'm not going to do this morning is I'm not going to wade out into some of the weeds of this stuff and, and, and talk about, well, so-and-so says this and so-and-so. Look, that's kind of missing the point. I I, I've, I found this this week. Uh, well, I didn't find it this week, but I came back across it this week, and I thought, boy, this is, this is what I need to do when it comes to Bible prophecy, is the main things are the plain things, and the plain things are the main things. That's where I'm going to stick with today, that the main things are the plain things, and the plain things are the main things. All right? So it's going to be a real simple sermon. I got one point. So you ready? Here it is. One point for the whole, like 37 verses. I will say this. There was at one point this week in preparing that I had f four points and four sub points to every point. If you do math, that's 16 points altogether. And I thought, that's not the way I want to do this. So I got it to one point, and here it is. Jesus gives us details about the end times, to promote disciple-making, not to predict dates. Jesus gives us details concerning the end times, the end of the age, 
to promote disciple-making, not to predict dates. And a lot lot of the reason why over the years I have grown to have a great disdain for uh, Bible prophecy in general, uh, and I shouldn't say disdain, because it's not really disdain as much as it's just, you know, unless it comes up like it does today, I just kind of don't do a lot of studying on it. Um, because uh, of the complexity of it, because of the argumentative nature of it, because when you get into, uh, you know, talking to other Christians about it, Christians get really dogmatic about it. They'll say, oh, no, that's, you're wrong, and this is right, and that's, that's right, and this is wrong. And it, 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 it becomes, a, a lot of ways, very divisive. And really what has troubled me the most over the years about Bible prophecy is what I've put in the, the one point today, and that is most people that get wound up tight about Bible prophecy are wound up tight because they're all into trying to predict when Jesus is going to come back. And that's not the point of what Jesus is doing in prophecy. He's not trying to tell us when he is coming back. He is telling us that he is coming back, and because he is coming back, that we need to be busy about what he told us to be busy about before he actually left. Anybody remember Jesus' final words before he sent it into heaven? He said this, you need to go into all the world and preach the gospel, starting in Judea, Samaria, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other ends of the world. Jesus is more concerned about what we are doing here on planet Earth about making disciples than he is about us predicting dates. And even in today's passage that we're about to read, what we find is, is we find that Jesus even tells his disciples, nobody knows when I'm coming back, not even myself. Only the Father knows. Now, that's, now that'll, that'll blow some brain circuits out when you begin to think about if... So Jesus is part of the Godhead. So you got God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. There are three yet one. And how does God the Father know something Jesus the Son doesn't know if they're three in one, right? See, that, see what I'm talking about? There's just some stuff that you just ought to not try to figure out. Especially when Jesus says... Here's the plain thing. I don't know. The angels don't know. Only the Father knows. So quit trying to predict dates. Like the gentleman who wrote the book, that Jesus, 88 Reasons Jesus Will Come Back in 1988. He said that in, on September the 11th, 12th, or 13th, he wasn't for sure which one of those three dates, but in one of those three dates in 1988, Jesus would be back, and he found 88 biblical reasons why he would be back. Of course, Jesus hasn't come back. And when he didn't come back in September of 88, the man came back and rewrote the book and said, oh, he made a miscalculation in his math, and it was 1989 that Jesus was coming back. And here we are many decades later, and Jesus still hasn't come back. Why? Because nobody can predict when Jesus is coming back. But what we can know for sure is that he is coming back. And so what do we need to do in the meantime? 
Well, let's read the Bible and then see what Jesus ha well, has to say. You've got it on your phone, on your personal Bible. If you've got a bulletin, it's in the bulletin. If you have none of that, you can follow me on the screen. I'll have all the verses on the screen. screen. And as he came out of the temple, now let me set the context real quick. This is the last thing that happens on Tuesday of, 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 of the Passion Week. So remember, this Tuesday has seemed like it has gone on forever. Matter of fact, it's taking us about two chapters of Mark just to get through Tuesday, okay? So we're coming to the end of Tuesday, and as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, look, look teacher, what, a wonderful, what wonderful stones and what, uh, what wonderful buildings. Now, he's looking back at the temple, of course, that they, that they have been in. And this temple, this Herodian temple, uh, which was the second temple that was built, the first temple that Solomon built had been destroyed, and it, now it had been rebuilt. And it had taken several decades to rebuild the temple, and this temple is called the Herodian temple. And it is incredible. It is massive in size. Um, one of the courtyards alone was 500 football fields wide and 300 football fields, uh, no, 500 football fields long, 300 football fields wide. Uh, it was just, I mean, this, this place was just, it was massive, massive. They said that the stones, the, the, the foundational stones uh, of the temple weighed a million pounds apiece. And some of y'all are probably thinking that are, you know, think about building stuff. How in the world did those cats move million pound stones without heavy equipment? Well, they did. Some of those stones are still there. Some of the very footer stones are still there today. That's why we know what we know. Uh, and yet, as Jesus is about to say, many of those stones that were above the ground were totally destroyed in 70 AD, when the city of Jerusalem was ransacked by a man named Titus, uh, uh, a Roman emperor. Let's keep going. And Jesus said to him, do you see these great buildings? There, there will not be there, left there, left here, one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And you go there today and, and, and the place doesn't even exist. It was, it was utterly destroyed. And one of the ways that they destroyed this building was is at the top of it, it was inlaid with gold. And so what the Roman soldiers did when they sacked the city is they took wood and they put wood inside of cracks within the city walls and they set it on fire and it got so hot that it melted the gold. It melted the gold and it destroyed these stones and the uh, Roman soldiers collected the gold the gold um, as, as tribute for themselves and as tribute for uh, the king. And so this, this city, this great temple, uh, the city of Jerusalem is totally wiped out. It's totally destroyed in AD 70, just like Jesus is talking about here. And as he said on the Mount of Olives, so they leave the temple, they go down the Kidron Valley, they go up the other side to the Mount of Olives, and now they're sitting on the Mount of Olives looking back into 
Jerusalem. So that's kind of what's happening here. And opposite of the temple, Peter, James, and John ask him privately, look what they ask him, tell us when these things will be and what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished. Now, listen, that's a good question, is it not? If, if, if you just looked at this building that has taken decades to build, if you're looking at a building that has stones that, that are a million pounds in weight, and Jesus looks at you and says, hey, by the way, there's something going to happen in the future, and this whole building that you marvel at is going to be brought to such desolation that not one stone will be left touching another. You kind of want to figure out when that might be, because <laughs> you don't want to be hanging around whenever that group shows up, right? I mean, that's the army that you don't want to see coming down the road. This is, this is a day like none other, like no other. And so they want to know when this, when this is going to happen. And here's typical Jesus. And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Now how do you start telling somebody when something's going to happen, and the first words out of your mouth is, See that no one leads you astray. Because again... Jesus is telling them about something that's going to happen in the future, but that's not the main point. The main point of all of life is walking with God, no matter what's happening in the world. Amen? Walking with God, no matter what's happening in the world. And Jesus says, see that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am he and will lead many astray. We, hey, listen, since Jesus left the earth, we have had a, just a, a series of messiahs that have come along. And some of you may say, you know what, Brother Jason, I would never fall for one of those messiahs. And yet, 1,000 people found their way down to South America back in the 1970s, I believe it was. And 1,000 people, and I've watched a documentary on the, uh, on, on the whole Jim Jones um, phenomenon that took place in the 60s and the 70s. And here's what we know, is that many of the people that got caught up in the Jim Jones cult were very intelligent people. They were not, you know, they were not some, they, they were not dummies. They, they, they weren't a few fries short of a happy meal. I mean, these people by and large uh, were uh, uh, well intact as human beings, and yet they, they fell prey to this guy who claimed to be Messiah. And uh, in the, uh, in the 1990s, we had the Branch Davidian sect out in Waco, or really Waco, Texas. But, you know, it kind of seemed Waco out in Waco for a little while. And, you know, and these people believe that, uh, that David Koresh was, uh, was the Messiah. And, and hundreds and hundreds of people ended up believing that and got trapped into that. Uh, the Hellbot Comet came through in the late 1990s, and a group of individuals uh, all put on their white Nike shoes and dressed all alike and lay down in their beds and, and took a, um, a sedative uh, that led to their death. And, and so, uh, again, why? Because one man had said that he was the Messiah and that the Hellbop Comet was coming through because that was, that was Jesus coming back. That was the ticket to get out of here. Those are just some of the modern day. But all throughout history, people have come claiming to be messiahs. And so Jesus is saying here, be careful because many of you 
will be led astray. And even today, it still continues. Even in our modern times, we have uh, people who claim to be messiahs or have messiah complexes that people follow. Uh, and people believe that anything that comes out of their mouth uh, is, um, it, uh, is God. Matter of fact, the, one of the fastest growing uh, cults in, a, uh, in these United States of America, the, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, uh, their founder, Joseph Smith, uh, claimed uh, a divinity about himself. And so many people have, many millions of people all over the world uh, uh, who follow the teachings of the Latter-day Saint Church. The, the Mormons do so because a man uh, claimed to have a divinity from God, a divine revelation uh, from God. Uh, and claim in many ways to, uh, to be a Messiah. And so, uh, so we, have a, we have a world where this is going on, and, and Jesus says, be careful, because you can be led astray. You can be led down the, the wrong path. And he, Jesus says, and when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, don't be alarmed, this must take place, but the end is not yet. Listen, do you know something that's interesting? We have about 3,400 and some odd years of recorded history. Hear what I said, recorded history, written history. And it has been studied by historians that out of those 3,400 years of recorded history, the earth has only known a period collectively of about 200 and I think it was 38 years of peace where there was not war in the earth. So again, just because wars are happening, this again, this doesn't mean, oh, you know, we're on the verge of World War III right now. Who knows what Vladimir, Vladimir Putin might do? Will he, is he going to bring out nuclear weapons? Will we be sucked into uh, uh, another world war? You know, is this, is, is something uh, catastrophic about to happen? Are we teetering on the end. And, and of course, the, the Bible prophecy people are out in full force right now about what could happen. And, 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 and this is the, the end of days. Listen, when Jesus left and went back to heaven, the end of times began. We've been in the end of times since Christ left. And Jesus said that we will continue to hear wars and rumors of wars. But don't be alarmed. Uh, uh, the, 20th, the 20th century was the bloodiest century of any century in all of human history. More people killed in wars than any other 100-year period in the history of the world. But Jesus says, don't be alarmed. These things must take place, but the, the end is not yet because nation is going to rise against nation and, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be earthquakes in various places. In, in 1811, there was a massive earthquake in, in Arkansas. So, it was such a massive earthquake that the Mississippi River ran north. Totally changed directions. It began to run north instead of south. And many people in the early 1800s believed that was a sign that Jesus was coming back. And yet again, Jesus says there will be earthquakes in various places and there'll be famines uh, in various places. These are but the beginning of what? Birth pangs. Now, I've never had a baby, uh, but uh, I, I know a little bit about babies being born because uh, I've, I've read about it and I've talked to, and I've heard women tell stories about giving birth to babies. And, and I've been to hospitals when 
Babies were going to be born and set out in a waiting room and a baby come very quickly. And then I've gone home and because we sat there all day and no baby came. And poor old mama's back there still having contractions. And you hear women being in labor for 24 hours and 30 hours and 36 hours and some even longer. And so Jesus is telling us here in these details, he's not trying to give us information that will help us to predict when he he will come back. But what he wants us to know is, as he is about to say in just a minute, he wants us to know when it is at the door. But these birth pangs have been going on ever since Jesus left. Now look at what Jesus says, be on your guard for they will deliver you over to councils and you'll be beaten in synagogues and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be preached, uh, proclaimed or preached to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, don't be anxious beforehand what you, what you are to say, but, uh, but say what you're given in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end shall be saved. Let me, let me just make a quick commentary right there. What is Jesus saying there? If you go to the book of Acts and begin to read in the book of Acts after Jesus' ascension, what you will see is all of that began to happen. All of that began to play out. There began great persecution in the church, and, 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 and the people of God were brought before very powerful people, and the Holy Spirit would give them words to say in that moment. Uh, beginning in Acts chapter uh, 4 and going all the way to the end of the book of Acts. But it hasn't stopped there. It continues to this day. And as a matter of fact, since 1900 up until our present day, 122 years, we have seen more Christians killed for their faith than any other period of time in all of human history combined. And so we see this growing. We, we see even in our day the hatred for Christianity. We, we see in the Middle East when people come to faith in Christ, especially when we see college students or, or high school students or young people come to faith in Christ, if their parents find out about it in Muslim countries or Hindu countries, uh, uh, they are disowned. They are treated as dead by their families because of what they have done. And even some of them have been murdered by their own families because of the disgrace that was brought on to that family because they have left their native faith and clung to Christ as the only way to get to heaven. And so this continues even to this day. Uh, we live in a very protected, bubbled environment here in these United States where Christianity uh, uh, is not... Uh, well, uh, people are getting more hostile towards Christianity than they have before, but still the hostility is not something that leads to imprisonment or leads to death or leads to, you know, something catastrophic. But I would dare say this, that there appears to be uh, uh, in our country at this moment, and I am no prophet by any means, but, but it does seem to be that the dividing lines between uh, Christianity and secularism is growing and growing and growing. And what I'm not talking about is political divides. I'm not talking about 
Republicans and Democrats because I believe that, uh, you know, your party affiliation has nothing to do with your uh, salvation status. You, there are Republicans who will be in heaven, and there will be Democrats that will be in heaven, and there will be Democrats and Republicans both that will find themselves separated from God for all of eternity who thought that they were doing the Lord's work in their, in their political persuasion. Listen, God has no political persuasion. He is his own theocracy. He is his own entity. He is his own government. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And so what we need to be studied about here as those who live in this foreign land as Christians is that we need to take, again, our orders from the King of Kings and from the Lord of Lords and live our life according to his standards and his ways, irregardless of how it might line up with anyone's political preferences. We are Christians before we are anything else. And I beg of you to live that way. And if you do so, you will be hated by both Republicans and Democrats. <laughs> you will. You'll be hated by all. For what reason? Not because you're a jerk. Don't be a Christian jerk. Okay? But look at what he says. By all for my name's sake. If you're going to be hated by others, then be hated for Jesus' sake, not because you're a jerk. And you won't be hated by every human being. But as I've told you before, Christians should be loved by many and hated by many. That's how you know you're living more like Christ. All right, I've got to pick up the pace here. Uh, but when you see the abomination of desolation, this is where it all gets tricky. Standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand. Then those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let, um, let the one who is on the housetop not go down, nor enter in his house, nor take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back or take his cloak. Alas, for women who are pregnant, pray that this happens in winter is what he's about to say. Okay? For in those days there will be such tribulation as not has been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. It's pretty bad, right? And if the Lord had cut short the days, no human being had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, the elect are, th th that's the real Christians, real Christians. But for the sake of real Christians whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, he is, uh, or look, there he is, do not believe it. False Christs and false prophets all arise and perform signs and wonders to lead people astray, if possible, the elect. Listen, everybody, time out real quick. I need you to hear this. I need you to put this away and not forget this. Those who perform signs and wonders, a.k.a. the vast majority of people that get on Christian television who are doing signs and wonders, Brother Jason, you don't believe in healing? No, I believe in healing. You don't believe in the supernatural? Yes, I believe in the supernatural. But listen, here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying that one of the marks of those who are false prophets and false Christ are people who get up in front of everybody and supposedly have this, this, this signs and wonders and this miraculous ministry. 
And that's why I say even today, many are being led astray and led away from true Christianity by those who claim they may not say that they are Christ, but they come as one speaking for Christ and doing certain miracles in the name of Christ. And Jesus Christ himself says, they are so close to being what's real that real Christians are almost led away by them. Be on guard. I have told you these things beforehand. So why is Jesus telling them? Because he doesn't want them to lose sight of what life on earth is all about. It's not about predicting dates. It's about making disciples. But in those days, after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will be falling from the heavens, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory, and then he will send out his angels and gather the elect from the four winds and the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens, from the fig tree, uh, learn this lesson. I wish I could talk about this um, because there's so much that's been made about this, probably far more than needs to be made of it. Um, as soon as you see the branches uh, becomes tender and puts out leaves, know that summer is near. So also when you see these things taking place, know that he is near even at the gates. This is nothing more than a second illustration uh, like the first illustration of the birth pangs. When you see the tree beginning to bud, know that it is near. But listen, remember what Peter said about God's timetable. A day in heaven as a thousand years on earth and a thousand years on earth is as a day in heaven. God's timetable, when God says something's near, doesn't necessarily mean it's as near as you and I believe near to be. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So Jesus says, look, you may see things around you, and you may think, boy, this stuff, you know, I mean, it doesn't look like it's going to come true, but it will come true. The word of God will stand. But concerning that day, we're coming to an end, concerning that day or the hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep away, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and he puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake and do not know when, the, for you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, what does he say? What does he say? Stay awake. Why? Because again, you and I can lose sight. If, if you get wrapped up into all of these details that Jesus is giving us and you try to make every little detail fit something because you're trying to fix a, you're trying to put a puzzle together that, that, that you think in the end is going, the puzzle is going to be a clock that's going to have a time and a date on it when Jesus is coming back, then again, you have Missed the point. In essence, you have fallen asleep. What have you fallen asleep about? You have fallen asleep on the duty that God has given us. And the duty that God has given us is to go out and make disciples. Why? 
because most people are going to meet Jesus not in the air, but through death. Most people, are, their lives are going to come to an end, not in some cataclysmic end-time event, but they are going to die through cancer or car accidents or, or, or something else in the earth. And Jesus says, stay awake. Don't get caught up in all of this. Just know that as you see the frequency of these things increase, let it be to you something that prods you and promotes you to go to those that you know or that you, or that you feel as though these people, if Christ were to come back right now, it's over with. It's over with for them. This is a somber passage. It's very somber. It's smelling salts for Christians who have fallen asleep. It's smelling salts for Christians who believe that everybody's going to end up in the same place. It's smelling salts for Christians who believe that Ultimately, God will not send anyone to hell. And you say, well, I don't believe that. I don't believe everybody's going to make it into heaven. I, be I, believe that, I believe that there'll be people that'll be in heaven, and I believe that there'll be people in hell. Then I have one question for you and for myself. Then when will, when will we begin to live like it? Because when you fall asleep and when you are failing to engage this world and calling them to be followers, uh, disciples of Christ, you know, what you're, you know what we're saying to them? We don't really believe in hell to begin with. We'll believe you'll get in. We'll believe somehow, some way, God will work it all out in the end. And you'll get to heaven with the rest of us. And we go back to our sleep. And we go back to our slumber. While the world goes on without Jesus. I think that's the point of prophecy. Come on, David. I think that's the point that Jesus is trying to get across because he's about to die. And he's about to, he's about to leave planet Earth. And he's about to leave these 12 guys plus the other uh, 108 that'll gather with those 12 in the upper room when the Holy Spirit comes, and Jesus is about to leave the eternal, the eternal destiny of the world in the hands of 120 people. And he tells them, you got to go 
all the way to the very four corners and the ends of the earth. Why? Because if because the message of the gospel is repent and believe on Jesus in order to be saved. You got to go tell people nobody's good enough. No, not one. You got to go tell people that they're sinners. That's hard. Nobody wants to hear that. But you got to tell people, but just because you're a sinner doesn't, that's the bad news. Okay. Here's the good news. Jesus is not a sinner. And the good news is, is that the, 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 the one who never sinned died for those who can't stop sinning. Why? So that those who have sinned and can't quit sinning can be saved from the God who punishes sin. Would you pray with me, Father, in these next moments as we sing together one final song this morning? If there's, there's somebody here that's just kind of been a, just kind of putting off life, putting off coming to you and turning from their sin and trusting you uh, as their Savior because they're, they're young and they think they got more time or uh, they just think they got more time. No matter what their age is, they just, they just think they got more time. And yet, as you could come back even five seconds from now, it's probably more likely that we could die five seconds from now. And what matters is, is that we are ready, just like this passage says, ready to meet you. And then, Father, for, for those who are Christians, who are ready to meet you, can you stir our hearts afresh and anew? Can you light a fire in our hearts can, 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 can we really begin to, to live out what we say we believe? And that is that unless you repent of your sins and turn and trust Christ as Savior, you cannot spend eternity in heaven. You must and you will spend eternity in hell. If we can begin to believe that and that begin to affect our heart, then we will not be found asleep. But we will be wide awake. And we will be about what prophecy says we should be about, and that is preaching this gospel of the kingdom to all because the end is coming. And we need to make sure that people have heard the message to be ready for one day the king will come again and he will separate and the king will sentence the just from the unjust and the righteous from the unrighteous. Father, draw those who need to trust you to yourself this morning. And then those of us that have already done that, will you do a fresh work in our hearts so that others could come to know you as well. In Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand. Let's sing one last song together.